It is Thursday, February 3rd, and this is Greg Gabriel Talks Football. I'm Aldo Gandia, and Greg, we have a lot to talk about. How are you, man? I'm doing good. What do we got to have? What, what, what's there to talk about? <laughs> Bunch of new coaches, all this drama in the NFL, and I'm, I'm going to start right into it. Uh, you tweeted this out yesterday. When this coaching cycle began, I felt that at least three minority coaches would get hired, perhaps four. Right now, there are zero for four. In my opinion, coaches like Bowles, Bienemy, Leftwich, and Frazier are among the best candidates. This is an injustice. You want to add to that? I think I said it all there, and, and, <laughs> I, and I believe that. You know, what is wrong with this hiring cycle that these guys, they're, they're all getting interviews. Mm -hmm. Many of them are finalists. Now, in, in fairness, supposedly Leftwich has been offered the Jacksonville job, but he wants Balky gone. Don't blame him. Uh, so there's a problem there. In the, in the meanwhile, Jacksonville's still interviewing candidates. Um, there's a lot of people in Jacksonville that want Belkey out, except the guy who pays the bills doesn't. So, you know, that remains to be seen what's going to happen. Uh, but, you know, there's no reason why Todd Bowles isn't a head coach right now. The mm -hmm. enemy, you know, you could say, well, they're going to be in the Super Bowl. That limits his ability to, to interview. But then yesterday, you know, O'Connell gets hired by Minnesota, even though it's not a official yet it'll be official in another you know 10 days 12 days mm -hmm. but uh i thought for sure after what went down on tuesday that minnesota was going to hire a minority candidate and I, there was i always thought harbaugh was never going to be involved in that i mean yeah he got interviewed but harbaugh played some bad cards he had a bad bad poker hand now he's got to go back to Ann Arbor with the, his tail tucked between his legs. And if I'm Ward Manuel, the UM um, athletic director, I take that extension off the table, say, screw you. Mm. You're, you're going to play on, you know, you're going to coach under the uh, cut salary you got last year. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, um, he, I think you're absolutely right about him playing his cards wrong. I mean, he must have thought that job in Minnesota was in the bag. For him to be there for an interview on the day of the signing day, National Signing Day, um, that sent a message, I think, to the Minnesota Vikings that perhaps he thinks he's going to get this job, and that was a poor calculation on his part. Well, in, in fairness, National Signing Day, that's the official National Signing Day. Mm -hmm. But the real signing day is in December mm. when they have the early signing day. And 95% of the players sign in December now. Okay. All right. Because a lot of them are more and more kids are early entries. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of the kids who signed in December are already enrolled in school. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And what do you make of the blockbuster allegations by Brian Flores regarding hiring practices? Uh, he says that John Elway showed up to a, a interview and it was clear that uh, the, the after effects of the last night's dinner party or wherever he was at was showing uh, that he was asked by his owner when he was coach of the Dolphins to tank games. 
I mean, there was just just uh, it's a 56 page civil lawsuit. Uh, you have any thoughts on that you'd like to share? Oh, I got a lot. And, and I've had some text conversations with some people high people high up in the, the food chain uh, that are, you know, former NFL executives, high level executives, some higher than than GM even. Mm-hmm. And the suit by itself, there's a couple things here. The suit by itself is a good idea. The messenger is the wrong guy. <clears throat> and that is because some of the allegations against him and, and his his uh, coaching methods, his his methods yes. of interacting yes. with him. And, and, and that, you know, having been through a bunch of depositions and stuff for my little side gig, he, um, you know, all that stuff's going to come out. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to be able to get away from that. And so... And then on top of that, how many outside of Andy Reid, I can't think of a coach that that got fired in January and hired in that same month. Mm-hmm. You know, usually you're like Nagy might end up going to uh, Detroit as the offensive coordinator. You, you either sit out while while you're collecting a paycheck, or or you go somewhere else. You know, at a lesser job title. Mm-hmm. Uh, and until perfect examples, Todd Bowles, mm-hmm. you know, so, but the real interesting thing, in my opinion, is not the discrimination. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there's a problem with that and it has to be fixed. It's the tanking. And that could be huge. Mm-hmm. And, Okay, so he says that Brian Flores says that he was offered a hundred thousand dollars a loss. Mm-hmm. They lost eleven games. That's one point one million dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think you can hide one point one million? <laughs> yeah, that's weird. No, no I mean seriously. Think oh, about it. This is what some of our our text conversations were. Uh-huh. Is that okay? If it was part of his pay. His contracts filed with the league office, mm-hmm. okay, and the amount of money that he's supposed to get paid. So let's just pick a number. Let's say he was getting three million dollars for a year for coaching, which is on the light end, but we're just playing numbers here. Right. And then his W two says four point one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, where'd that one point? What was that one point one for? Yeah. Okay. So that's part of it. Then. Do you really think Flores would make that allegation unless he had some real substantial proof mm-hmm. about it? So let's say it was under the table. Well, you got to have some deposit slips, even if it's an offshore account. Mm-hmm. You know, and you produce those. And if that happens, from the people I talk to, Ross could lose the football team. Mm-hmm. If if it turns out to be true. Right. And that would be the appropriate way to handle that situation. Again, if it is proven beyond a reasonable doubt that he was making those offers or any NFL owner was making those offers to a head coach to tank games, they have to be immediately 
uh, excised from the league. And then now Hugh Jackson is joining in. Uh, there's reports that he might be joining in in this class action lawsuit. Uh, this from uh, Yahoo News. Two sources close to former Browns head coach Hugh Jackson said Wednesday that Jackson has made arrangements to speak with Flory's attorneys about the suit as early as Wednesday, which was yesterday. The sources also said Jackson has, has expressed a willingness to provide testimony and materials to Flory's lawsuit alleging that Browns owner Jimmy Haslam financially incentivized tanking for better draft position. So this could, uh, besides Hugh Jackson, there might be other people involved in this lawsuit. And uh, yeah, for sure. one of those things for sure. we need to talk about, but it is news and we, we do need to give it proper uh, uh, thought uh, uh, before we get into the fun stuff of talking football. Anything here's, else? Yeah, here's, I want to read this text I got from a guy. I'm not going to mention his name. Okay. If he paid to tank, I think he would be in huge trouble, could be forced to sell the team. And this is a guy that would know more than most. Okay. If he wanted them to take steps to lose, like resting veterans or playing a backup quarterback, nothing happens. The Eagles did it two years ago in Doug Peterson's last game and virtually admitted what they were going to do and why. Mm -hmm. So, but Peterson wasn't given a financial incentive to lose the game. Mm -hmm. So there, and, and, and on top of that, Mr. Ross has like a $17 million investment in some gambling entity mm. or something. What if he's betting on his oh team God. to lose? Oh my and, and I'm, I know I'm throwing darts no, at the it, wall here. But it's but, reasonable, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, th 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 there's a lot going on here. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be real interesting. And what the league's got to hate is, is that, you know, they don't want this news right now. It's Super Bowl. Yep. Exactly. And they immediately dismissed uh, Flory's uh, uh, lawsuit. I mean, a 56, 58-page lawsuit, and then within hours they, they dismiss it. Uh, it doesn't seem like they really did the proper thing and just said, we're going to study this, we'll comment on this later. And uh, But um, immediately denying uh, the report seemed a little strange to me. What do you think about what Marty says here? He says, Lovey Smith benched his starters in the second half to lock up the first pick and draft Winston, and he wasn't fined or suspended for tanking. I'm, I'm, uh, so this is when Lovey was coach of the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, but I, I think in general, what do you think about when coaches rest starters? Uh, they're essentially tanking in a way. Uh, do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, but there's no financial incentive. There you go. The big thing is the financial incentive. Mm -hmm. Getting paid. Not now you're 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 dealing with the integrity of the game. Right. And so it it it, it just a whole it opens up a whole it's bribery really. Yeah. I mean, you know, it opens up a whole different can of worms and so it's going to be very very interesting to see how this plays out and you know it's it's not going to be a week or two weeks or three weeks it's going to be months and maybe years mm -hmm. before before the whole thing plays out um and in the meantime you know i, I wouldn't be shocked if flory's got a job but i wouldn't be shocked if if he got blackballed yeah wow i mean <laughs> 
<laughs> just when you thought you could get away from the drama of legal stuff and you know off the field stuff. No, it's it, with the NFL. That's going to be a constant, I think, forever. Ray Rojas says it's funny that they denied it. They being the NFL, but are trying to save face by investigating it. Well, they have to. They have to investigate it. I mean, absolutely. But uh, Ray's comment here about how much are they going to try to cover things up, that's always a question that has to be answered. And if there, if there is, without a doubt, receipt of him receiving money for tanking games, mm-hmm. it's huge. And the NFL can't cover that up. There you go. All right, let's turn our attention now to what is going right, on. One, one, one other thing. Please so do. Talking, you know, going to the Rooney rule. I guess Mr. Rooney came out this morning and said, the rule's working with general manager hires. Mm-hmm. I didn't say the whole quote, but, and he's right. There's four GMs hired in this cycle, two of which were African-American, one with the Bears, mm-hmm. one with Minnesota. So that part's good. But the coaching aspect, that there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. There's something totally wrong that guys, and, and you can't, I, I get it that you can't make people hire a certain candidate, but at the same time, tell me what's wrong with these guys while you're not hiring them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've got that quote here. Uh, let me let me put it up here. This is from ESPN.com. I just snagged it from an article they posted minutes ago. Uh, Rooney says, while I acknowledge that we have not seen progress in the ranks of head coaches, we have seen market improvement in the hiring of women and minorities in other key leadership roles, such as coordinator positions, general manager positions, and front office positions, both in and out of football operations, Rooney said in a statement. I believe this progress has made has been made as a result of the implementation of many of the enhanced policies that were re- recently adopted. And I agree with that. I mean, you, you, you look at two cases just in the last couple of days. You know, the Bears hire a, a African-American GM, and then they hire Ian Cunningham from Philadelphia mm-hmm. to be the assistant GM, mm-hmm. also African-American. And Champ Kelly, who was the assistant director of uh, player personnel for the Bears, goes to the Raiders as assistant GM. Yep. Okay, so yeah, there there have been advances. There's no question about that. There's just not enough advances in the head coach market. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else? Did you want to mention anything else about Jim Harbaugh? I know that uh, uh, we talked about it briefly, but uh... yeah, I I don't get, and maybe you do, and you explain to me. I don't get the fascination that the Chicago media has with this guy. I think he's a very average coach. He had a great staff in San Francisco. Yeah, he won big one year and got to a Super Bowl. Didn't win it, but he got there. Mm -hmm. But other than that, when he went to Michigan, last year he had a good year. He had like three or four first-round picks on that team. You better win. Mm -hmm. But he, how about he was 0 for 7 in his first seven games against Ohio State, and none of them were close. They were blowouts. That's right. <laughs> and he beats Ohio State last year, but he loses to the in-state rival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't explain. That. <laughs> you know, this he is very, very average. And on top of that, I, you know, I'm standing by my feeling he's a freaking nutcase. <laughs> I just, I hate his sideline mannerisms. He looks like a three-year-old, and after you took the lollipop away. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Well, and it's funny too because I think in the press conference, um, it might have been disclosed why there wasn't an interest in Harbaugh. I think it was Ryan Poles that said, "We as coaches and as a general manager team, as front, we need to model the behavior we're asking of players." Well, Jim Harbaugh is not going <laughs> to model exemplary behavior with his histrionics on the sideline and and oh, some of the stuff off the field. So, and, and Dan Pompey wrote an article advocating for Jim Harbaugh. And he said, you know, this is a former player, a guy who went on to have a lot of success in the NFL as a player who played in the Super Bowl, blah, blah, blah. He would be a kind of a perfect guy to bring in. And I just, I, I, I vacillate on it. I, and, and sometimes I feel like maybe he would, but I keep coming back to what you just said, Greg, he's not very dependable uh, with his behavior. Yeah, Dan knows I totally disagree. I mean, because we've texted back and forth. And I respect his opinion, but I got my opinion. And that's the absolute last guy I wanted here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some Chris Watt says he's never going to leave Michigan. Don't count on that. He just wore out his welcome yesterday. Mm -hmm. He had told many of his staff before he flew to Minnesota, see ya, I'm out of here. Wow. Then he had to come. Then he had to come back. Well, I guess I'm staying. You know, he's screwed. He, that's going to hurt recruiting for him for the next. If he's there for a couple more years, it's going to hurt recruiting for at least two years hmm. because the other schools are just going to dangle that carrot. He, he's, he's not going to be there. Why are you going there? Hmm. You think he's going to be your coach for four years? You're out of your mind. Tony asks a great question. Do the Bears get a compensatory pick for uh, losing Champ Kelly? You know, that's a good question. I, You know, you get one for head coach and GM. I'm not sure about assistant GM. Yeah. I, You know, you might have to look that one up and see. It's supposed to be high-level positions mm-hmm. as assistant GM considered high-level. And really, very few people, very few teams had assistant GM positions until recently. Mm-hmm. And the reason for it is because they changed the rule that you know you could block any move except for a head coach or general manager move. Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, like it, it, like perfect example when we hired Lovey. Lovey wanted Rod Marinelli to be his defensive coordinator. Back in 2004, he was he was only the defensive line coach at Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Tampa was able to block the move because the league was looking at all assistant coaches as equals mm-hmm. and coordinators weren't any better. Well, they've changed that. Now you can't block a coordinator position. You know, you got to let the guy take the better position. And, and, and that's why you got this assistant GM thing. Uh, Ian Cunningham, perfect example. He was director of player personnel with the Eagles. Well, assistant GM is a higher man on the totem pole than director of player personnel. So the Eagles can't block his ability to switch to another team. Mm-hmm. So part of it's just it, it's semantics and, and titles. Mm-hmm. But what are they really going to, you know, what what's their real job description? To me, job description means a lot more than, than title. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let us turn our attention to what is happening over at Hallis Hall. All of a sudden, uh, the coaching staff is starting to take 
shape. And uh, we are, we've already talked about, talked about the new offensive coordinator Luke Getze but is there anything over the last few days that you have heard or learned about Luke that you'd like to share with your audience no I mean we all know I I favored Pat Hamilton but I'm biased and Mm -hmm. I admit I'm biased because he's a friend and I know what you know kind of job he can do Mm -hmm. but you know reality of it is that um coach Eberflus wanted somebody who was very knowledgeable of the Shanahan slash McVeigh offensive system. Mm-hmm. And that's what Getsy is. So that's what we're going to get. And if you look at some of these other hires, like the offensive line coach, which is very integral, mm-hmm. Chris Mason, he was in, uh, he was on Dan Quinn's original staff at Chris Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. And, he, um, you know, very familiar with that. That's the, Shanahan was the original offensive coordinator. Lafleur was the was the quarterback coach, and so he's coached in that system, knows the system really, really well. So from that point of view, he's a very logical target. And from everything I've tried to find out yesterday about this guy, was that he's an excellent teacher, and and. You know, you go back to Coach Everflow's comments, and that's what he wants. He wants teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. Uh, you know, and I got to ask you a question about uh, Chris Morgan, the offensive line coach that they brought in. The Bears, at least by reputation, have had some excellent offensive line coaches. You know Harry Heaston. You know how, uh, how great of a teacher he is. And then Juan Castillo came with a kind of a superlative uh, reputation, although he's he's bounced around from team to team, but that's not his fault. You know, coaches get fired and they want to bring their own people in. So he had a reputation of an excellent teacher. So my question is, how much impact can an offensive line coach make? And isn't it more about talent than it is about teaching uh, uh, somebody how to play better? In my opinion – the two most important position hires a coach makes are the offensive and defensive line. You've got to get those right. And, and they can be more important than the damn coordinators. Because mm-hmm. if you went, if you win on, on the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. you've got a chance in every single game. Yeah. It's a cliche, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you what I like some comments and and somebody wrote an article about it that um, Ryan Poles was watching film of the offensive line, some of those games, and he just hated the body language Mm -hmm. when the quarterback was getting sacked and, you know, they, they weren't like rushing to protect him and everything else. Well, part of that has to do with coaching. So, and, and he being a former Offensive line, and I'll tell you, Boston College, he plays at Boston College. Boston College has a history of turning out offensive linemen, going back 30 years mm-hmm. or more. So, you know, he was well-coached in college. Uh, he understands the position, and so he knows what he wants. Mm-hmm. So now the interesting thing is, and, and, and I don't know if you heard Big Z on with uh, – Mully and Hall this morning, no. but he, you know, he's down in Mobile at the senior bowl and he's, he was talking to people about 
James Daniel and what he thinks the market. He's talked to one agent. One agent said he might be worth nine, ten mil a year mm-hmm. in the free agent market. Okay, well, are the Bears going to pay him nine, ten mil to keep him? And I, you know, you're shaking your head. I, I can't say yes. I can't say no because these guys, the the new brain trust, it is going to evaluate him on tape. And they might even say, wait a minute, he was drafted to be a center, and this is the, what we want at center. Mm-hmm. Personally, I'd put him back at center. Then you, you know, it, it, it's easier to find a, a right guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I mean, you agree that the center is the most important uh, uh, player in the offensive line because he calls signals and so forth. Right. Well, he's the, he's the glue. Mm-hmm. He, hold, he holds things together. The most important position is is left tackle mm-hmm. because it's your, unless you've got a left-handed quarterback, then mm-hmm. right tackle is more important. The, uh, but the, the center and, and you go back, I mean, Chicago has some, had some great centers over the years, you know, they look at, so, and when you, when you look at the history, you know, Hilgenberg, Krutz, these guys weren't just good players. They were they were like multi-time Pro Bowl players. Yeah, indeed. Um, I, I I'm I just gonna take a minute to deviate. I, I I like to challenge the thought that the left tackle is the most important position. It is it, the need for an athletic freak to play that position is is very high because you well, need I'll, I'll, argue, I'll argue that point in a minute. Okay, but, but my, my contention is is that because of the quick passing game nowadays, you need guards and centers that can stop that pass rush up the middle. We are seeing defensive coordinators move around their best pass rushers towards the middle of the line because the closest way to get to the quarterback is a straight line, right? And so, Well, part, part of it has to do with this. You're always attacking the weak point of the offensive line. Okay. I'll tell you where I, I, I learned this. And actually it was John Fox mm-hmm. and John, this is when John Fox was the D coordinator for the giants. And we had Michael Strahan and he was a very young player when, when Foxy came in. Mm-hmm. Strahan started off his career on the right side. Foxy moved him over to the left. Well, why are you putting him there? He said, cause he's going against the right tackle. Mm-hmm. I got to win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so, because the right tackle generally isn't as good as as the left tackle as far as as far as movement skills. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Where, where's Khalil Mack play Prim- primarily on the left side? Right. What's your strongest pass rusher against the weakest pass blocker mm-hmm. or supposed? That's why people are looking for. You know, basically, you're looking for two left tackles now mm-hmm. because yeah. you've got to take care of the edges. Right. So what's happening now? Okay. So you're taking care of the edges. Okay. Then I'm going to come up the middle mm-hmm. and then they'll chore up the, it's a chess game. Yeah. And it goes, it, you know, it goes back and forth. Somebody will get an advantage. You'll block the advantage and then they'll find some other weakness. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. All right. Let's move on and talk about some of the other new hires. Well, um, you know, we got to talk about left tackle. You left me. You left me. Why well, I want to argue that one point. Where I, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> when I was with the Giants, and I'm, granted, this was a while ago, but I don't care because I've seen it. Because you look at Andrew Whitworth and he's the same thing. We had a guy named Jumbo Elliott. Mm-hmm. 
Led left tackle for years and years and years, multi-time all-pro, pro bowler. He was a 5'6", guy. And not very nifty, mm-hmm. but he understood angles. He understood mm-hmm. angles. And, and in fact, we took linemen, offensive tackles, with our first two picks. Took Eric Moore in the first round to play left tackle mm-hmm. and Jumbo to play right tackle in the second round. And George Young, you know, he said, oh, it's the parade of the elephants. I mean, he liked, he wanted big people. You know, you, you, that's why I win games. Well, get him into camp. And Jumbo was, was a natural on the left side. And Eric Moore was a natural on the right side. Hmm. So that's, that's where they played. Hmm. And, and it's, you're not asking them to run 40 yards. You're asking them to play in a little box. So it's quickness within that box, lateral agility, it's your footwork, your lateral agility, and your ability to recover. And what I mean by that is, okay, you're sliding to the outside, and then a guy's going to do a counter move and come back across your face. Well, you got to be able to plant your outside foot and come back to the inside without losing a step so you can block that counter move. Mm-hmm. And so, and then you got to be able to bend. If you don't bend your knees, you're dead in the water. There you go. Um, and boy, after these All Star games, I, we'll we'll have a show and talk about some of those uh, young offensive linemen who are playing in the Shrine Game and the Senior Bowl game, uh, and get your thoughts on some of those guys. You know, uh, yesterday, uh, Greg uh, Bill Polian made an appearance on the Waddle and Sylvie uh, show. Did yeah, you- he was on with Molly too? Oh, okay. Did you hear any of that? And if so, what were your impressions? I didn't hear any of Waddle and Sylvie. Uh-huh. I heard Molly, not because I was listening. They had the link to it mm-hmm. on Twitter in the afternoon. And so I, uh, you know, I listened to it. And really, he didn't say a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And then I was texting Molly back and forth. And he gone, and Molly said, I don't think he likes some of the questions. But, you know, the one thing that just caught me right off the bat was he said Bill Munson, who was the assistant GM, and I know Bill real well. Bill had been, Bill was, I think, with the um, Bills for over 40 years in Mm -hmm. administrative roles and a really good guy. Anyway, he said Munson told him that when people knock on your door, you know, it's for a problem. Mm -hmm. And and he said, make sure they leave with the same problem they walked in with, because a lot of times it has nothing to do with what, you know, the general manager can fix. Well, when I was working with Jerry, he had a saying that was very, very similar. Really the same thing, different words. Nobody knocks on your door with good news. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> in fact, they forget to tell you sometimes. <laughs> really? So, you know, that... That stuck with me. As soon as I heard Polian say that, that's the first thing I thought of. Uh-huh. And and it's just so true. <laughs> you got to be a problem solver. It's not an easy job. Yeah. Well, here's a problem uh, the Bears have is where are they going to put Larry Borum? Uh, Laro Golden, who did an outstanding job last night on our uh, Bears special uh, show. Uh, Laro asked, do you think Larry Borum could be a nice replacement for James Daniels? Well, if you lose Daniels, but who are you going to play at right tackle? Well, well, come I, on, Larry, come on. 
I'll your answer. Uh, well, Danny Shimon would tell you that Tevin Jenkins is better suited for the for the right tackle position. Yeah, I don't I don't agree with that. And I and I, I might have said it before, but I'll I'll repeat it. I know I didn't say it in this show, but in other shows. Mm-hmm. Who was looked at as one of the best tackles, left tackles in the draft last year? The kid from Northwestern, right? Yes. Uh, okay. Later. Right. So in their college career, do you know how many games he started at left tackle? Not a lot, right? 11. 11, wow. He was a right tackle. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Tevin Jenkins started eight games at left tackle. you got a three-game difference between those two. Mm-hmm. Okay, now here's what happened with Tevin. He was worked at left tackle, was supposed to be the left tackle. The right tackle gets hurt. Mm-hmm. A backup who was coming into play, replacing the right tackle, was better on the left side than he was on the right side. Mm-hmm. So Tevin says, okay, I'll go back to the right. Otherwise, he would have had a full season on the left. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it – but when you look at him athletically, you look at all the numbers, they're as good as most of the left tackles in the league. Hmm. So it, it's really, in my opinion, it's – you know, it, it, it's more repetition – Mm-hmm. Just getting used. You know, you watch his pass sets. His pass sets are fine. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, he never had a training camp. Yeah. He missed all that. And he probably had somewhere between four and six padded practices after he came off of IR. Yeah. Well, you know, he's basically being thrown to the wolves. Mm-hmm. So this coming off season is going to be extremely important. And being that there's a new head coaching staff, they're going to get it's a week or two head start on OT, not on OTAs, but on the off-season program. And so that, that's going to be very helpful to him. You get to have an extra mini camp, you know. So things like that are are going to be very very important. But these guys, you know, they're going to. Here's what's going to what's going on when they get back from the from the Senior Bowl. You know, obviously they got to prepare for the draft and they got to prepare for free agency, but these new coaches got to learn their own personnel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they're going to come up with, well, I think this guy should be here and this guy should be here or whatever. So whatever they come up with, whatever Coach Morgan comes up with, then that's where you're going to see Tevin Jenkins play and where you're going to see Larry Boren play. It's not going to be up to me. It's not going to be up to you. And it's not going to be up to the fans. Mm-hmm. That's why you got a coach. Right. So are you comfortable with the idea of going into the season with Borum at right tackle and Tevin Jenkins at left tackle? Am I personally? Yes. Yes. Without question. So let's finish off the offensive line. You've said that you'd like to see Daniels re-signed and put N at the center position. Am I correct there? My personal opinion, yes. But, you know, my opinion don't count. (laughs) <laughs> well, it counts on this show and all your fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cody Whitehair's contract uh, almost makes him a lock, almost makes him a lock at the left guard position or the right guard position. But I, I would imagine you wouldn't want to make a, a change to move him to right guard. So then that leaves 
a spot, right guard, right. right guard position. And do you think a guy like Alex Mars, who is a free agent, uh, but do you think a guy like Alex Mars could play that position, or is he better suited as a fill-in player? He's either a restricted free agent or an exclusive rights free agent. I mm-hmm. I don't depends on on what his accredited seasons are, and I don't have that in front of me. Sure, because he was, you know, he, it's how many games he played in that rookie year. And if, and if he was active for more than four games and he got an accrued season, then he'd have three accrued seasons and he'd be a restricted free agent. Okay. Okay. He's not going to draw a lot of money in the market. He hadn't played enough. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, I mean, he's going to be one of the guys. Uh, Simmons is going to be one of the guys. They're going to make a decision. Simmons has got talent. You know, Simmons came in and he stunk in that one game. Well, he got put in a position he hadn't practiced with all year, and, and it was like, yes, you know, part and part of that's on Juan Castillo. Yes, it is. The backups <laughs> should be practicing at every position. You've got to have because here, here's that you only, for the most part, most teams on Sunday dress seven offensive linemen. That means your your two back your two backups that are dressing aren't necessarily. Your sixth and seventh linemen, they're your most versatile linemen. Mm-hmm. And they can play more than one position. Well, if, if he's got to play more than one position, he better be practicing it. Mm-hmm. Draft and develop. That is the key thing. Ever, you ever in your career uh, advocated for a player, he was drafted, and then you were upset with the way he was not properly developed. <laughs> I'm asking you to uh, reveal <laughs> something that's going to go in the book someday. <laughs> you know, I probably just one player and, um, and, and I'll say, and he got to a Pro Bowl, but as a returner, Daniel Manning. Mm-hmm. And only because he wasn't placed in one spot. They moved him around too much. Yes. Okay. And then they finally settled in on safety and he became a damn good safety. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you're like, oh, this guy's going to be our nickel. This guy's going to be, you know, athletically, he could play anywhere. But, you know, he started, so he, he came from a small college background. Mm-hmm. You know, Abilene Christian, I believe he went to. So, you know, it, it's he's put in a situation where he's just not ready for that. Mm-hmm. You know, and and how is he supposed to improve? It's like you're redoing your rookie year every year because you're at a different position. Mm-hmm. So you know, so I think they they wasted some of his career moving him around like that instead of because we drafted him to play safety. Mm-hmm. But then when they got a hold of him and said, "Oh my God, what kind of this guy's an athlete." You know, then they started, oh, he can be a great nickel corner and all this. Well, guess, you know, he's not. Tony's got a great question. He w- went over to uh, overthecap.com or Track, and he said that uh, Cody Whitehair, you can save $8 million if you cut him after June 1st. You keeping or uh, cutting Cody Whitehair? I, you know, I, I until you got a replacement, I keep him. Yeah, so, but you know, post June first. See, that's tricky because that eight million doesn't come off the cap until June first, right? Right, or June second. So you you can cut them 
on March 31st, mm -hmm. but that $8 is on the books for another three months or two and a half months. That's an interesting thing, uh, Greg, because you're allowed to go over the cap at a certain point because you got to fill a 90-man roster. Uh, no. Okay, to, uh, help me understand that. No, you got to say, even with the roster, you got to say, the, only the top 50 salaries count against the roster or okay. count against the cap. Okay. All those other guys don't count. Okay, gotcha. All right. So you're saying that with Cody Whitehair is you may not have money to sign a possible free agent uh, to replace him because the money doesn't come off the cap until after June 1st. And so a lot Correct. of valuable Correct. guys that you might be looking at might be signed by then. So it is a kind of a tricky proposition. You'd, you'd almost have to gamble you know, draft a guy that you think is a plug and play left guard or sign a guy. And then, you know, it's going to hurt you in signing other players because of the cap issue. Well, Ryan Poles is on record as saying he wants to build through the draft, but you got to have draft picks to build through the draft. <laughs> what else? And right now he doesn't have a whole lot, at least for this year. So, <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, I'm not going to criticize the trade because I'm glad the Bears got Dustin Fields. Yes. And and that's what you had to give up. In fact, you know, still looking back, I think it was a damn good trade. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, especially because who are you going to get this year if you would have waited in, 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 in the draft? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It isn't going to be pretty yeah. at the quarterback position. So, but they're going to have to fill in with free agency. Now it doesn't necessarily have to be big spending free agency, but that's what they're going to have to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've, we've talked about wide receivers and there, there's some guys that, you know, got a chance. The one is, is um, the Kansas city. Uh, Demarcus Robinson. Demarcus Robinson. You know, he made $970,000 last year. Mm-hmm. Okay, now he's a UFA. Well, what do you got to do to get him? Kansas City's got cap problems. So, if, I mean, you're giving $3 million. Kansas City isn't going to um, match it. Mm -hmm. You know, so, and and then, you know, we've talked about Lazard. Getsy's got to know Lazard. Mm -hmm. Well, Lazard is a restricted free agent. Okay, so but it's what are they going to tender him? He was originally a UDFA and not even with green Bay. So the, you know, what are they going to tag him with as far as compensation? Mm -hmm. You know, they can do it just right or first refusal. They can put a first round, a second round. Well, if you put those high rounds on them, mm -hmm. you got to pay, you got to pay them that money. Right. You know, that when you say that tender, and I don't know what the dollars are, and this team right now is like 40 or $50 million over the cap. Mm -hmm. So are they going to, in my way of thinking, there's no way they give them that high round tender. Hmm. You know, they're thinking, okay, they'll, they'll do a, a right of first refusal. Now, maybe it's wishful thinking on my part, but... I just, you know, looking at their cap situation the way it is, I just can't see it. You know, and, and they got to take care of the other receiver or they're going to lose him. Right. 
It's uh, tricky times. Um, I taught, I told Patrick Finley yesterday when I interviewed him for our Bear Special, I, I, I get a little bit of a panic attack when I look at the huge hole that Ryan Pace left uh, Ryan Poles. I mean, $40 million in cap money is not a lot when you factor in that you've got 33 free agents on the team, whether they're unrestricted or, or restricted. You know, this roster has to go through – uh, through an overhaul. And in that uh, Bill Polian uh, interview with Waddle and Sylvie, he seemed to insinuate that Poles was going to overhaul the roster. So I ask you, how quickly can you overhaul a roster and be competitive? Well, you got an answer in the Super Bowl. Ah, that's a great response. <laughs> the Cincinnati Bengals overall. Two years, two years ago, Cincinnati had the first pick in the draft. Last year, they had a top five pick in the draft. Uh-huh. This year, they're in a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. What'd they get to get them there? They took the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they still hadn't fixed the offensive line. Their offensive line is atrocious. Mm-hmm. That you know, they really spoiled the narrative there, didn't they? About you got to build through the offensive line. They, they made the choice to take uh, J- Jamar Chase at the wide receiver position over Penny Sewell, uh, who everybody- yeah. But then they, they did take a lineman high, though. I don't remember what round, but they did. T- I mean, the draft isn't just the first round now. Sure, sure. And and you can get quality offensive linemen in the second round. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it depends what you're looking for. You're looking for a tackle, or you're looking for uh, you know, a guard, but they still, you know, they, they, they've got to improve their offensive line. That is the, the weak point of the club right on the offensive side of the ball. That's the, uh, that's the weakness on their football team. But regardless, mm-hmm. they won the big game. They got to the Super Bowl and, and now they're playing for a world championship. Mm-hmm. J-Rock asked, uh, Greg, do we need to draft a real three-tech defensive tackle or expect someone to fill that spot that's already on the roster? He's already on the roster. His name is Bilal Nichols. Nichols. There you go. Uh, uh, But we need depth there, and so that's probably going to be addressed uh, in free agency in the draft, hopefully. Uh, I I don't have a roster in front of me, but uh, they got (laughs) – you're thinking Angelo Blackson. No, Blackson's Blackson going to be more of a the nose in that. Not the, the the nose in this defense is not your traditional nose. Okay. Okay. So you're you're usually, you know, you can be an offset where you're you're lining up on an angle, but in in the gap. But more often than not, you're in the center guard gap, and not over the center. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and you don't need those big elephants playing that position. Mm-hmm. You know, you need an athletic, quick guy. A uh, guy put uh, Victor says Mario Edwards, another guy, perfect guy to play the three technique. Mm-hmm. You, you you can't fill all the holes at once because there's a lot of holes. Mm-hmm. So you gotta, you know, you're gonna have to go with what's here. Bilal Nichols was a sub five flat guy coming out. Then they, you know, because the Bears are playing a three four, they wanted him a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these guys might say, "Hey, you know, I want you two ninety max." You know, they're 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 going to look at him and and they're going to have a signed weight. Now, 
Eberflus came from the Colts, and the head of conditioning there is Rusty Jones, who we're all familiar with and one of my best friends in the world. Mm -hmm. Rusty is huge on body fat. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the Bears still have it, but we had it when I was there. They had this thing called the Bod Pod. Mm -hmm. And it looks like an egg. And you sit in it for about a minute. And, you know, there's like air going around. And it gives you within thousands of a percent a guy's exact body makeup as far as muscle mass and percentage of body fat. Cool. It's like a thousand times more accurate than the old skin caliper test. And Rusty had for every position, and don't forget we were playing the scheme they're going to play now. You know, you wanted your defensive backs 8% or less. Mm -hmm. You know, the linebackers and another percentage. Defensive linemen, probably around 20, and offensive linemen could be a little higher. But if you can get the defensive linemen at 16 or 18, that's great. You know, I'm talking percent body fat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so Coach Flus, having been around that, wouldn't shock me if now they may have been putting an emphasis on it the last few years. I just don't know. You know, I'm not in the building, but he's been around it. He's been around Rusty his entire time in Indy. And so, you know, that that's a big part of the philosophy of getting people ready to play that defense is, is body weight, muscle mass, percentage of body fat, that type of thing to play the position. Mm -hmm. Outstanding stuff. Um, I want to talk about some of the new defensive coordinator with the team, Alan Williams. What do you know about him? I, you know, I don't know much about him. Mm -hmm. uh, he's coached with coach Flus for the last four years, but even more important than that, he's been brought up in the Tony Dungy system. Mm -hmm. He coached for Dungy. At, at um, I think in Tampa and Indy, mm -hmm. I know it was Indy. You know, I, I think he's got like 15 years in this system. Wow. So that's a lot of experience. And obviously a guy that uh, Matt really believes in and believes he can run the defense. The, the name that hasn't been, Publicly announced, it was brought up, I think, by Big G or somebody that uh, uh, the corner coach from Indianapolis, Coach Webb, and I don't remember his first name, yeah. was also going to be coming. You know, there's going to be three coaches from Indy. There's going to be Williams, Webb, and, and Borgonzi. So, you know, except for the defensive line coach, you've got pretty much their whole defensive staff. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they're going to hire a new DC in Indy. So that DC is going to have a chance to hire his own guys mm -hmm. because, but, but I'm sure Chris is going to want to stay with a similar style defense. Cause that's what they've drafted for. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be the exact same thing, but, but very, very similar. Um, it's, it's so far. I like the staff. You know, they, they added uh, the quarterback coach today. He's played the position. 
He's coached the position. He's coached a variety of positions. Mm -hmm. So he's well-rounded, which, which I like. Uh, he's familiar with the system. Um, you know, way, let me add to that. Uh, this is Andrew Janako talking about uh, a topic that he, he's going to be talking to Justin Fields about frequently. And that is looking at every play and then uh, – determining what happens if the play breaks down. This was, he was asked that about Kirk Cousins. And so he's referring to Kirk Cousins here, but you can, uh, you can definitely imagine he's going to be saying the same things to Justin. Fields. Then just assessing risk versus reward in every situation and, and just playing to playing to his ability and helping the offense in any way he can, I think is the, you know, the, the way we go about it. And when things do break down, how can he make something positive happen? And then when do we have to find when do we have to find ways just to live for the next play? Assessing that risk versus reward, and then uh, and then just just understanding. Hey, can I check the ball down here? Can I keep going forward? How do I use my legs on this play, or do I need to throw it away? Is there a time clock in my head? Don't you know what that means in short. Yeah. Don't take a stupid sack. <laughs> that's exactly right that's exactly right and one of the things that justin fields said in a press conference late in the season when he was asked what are uh, some of the things that you improved upon he said checking down i still need to get better at it but you know, his mindset about checking down is getting more towards that nfl level or you know when you're playing college football with ohio state you don't have to worry so much about checking down well that his game was home run at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. You go back and look at the tape. He's thrown deep a lot. He's going for the deep. That The best game he played in his career against Clemson, he threw a boatload of deep balls, and it was right on the money. So he's proven he can can make those throws, but you're right. He's He's got to become well-rounded at the position. Mm -hmm. And I'm and I'm going back to my one thing. He's got to fix his throwing motion. At that he's got to get rid of that hitch mm -hmm. that'll make a huge difference just on those those quick screen plays wide receivers bubble screens and things like that because you're getting the ball out a split second earlier yep. and that can mean a difference of four or five yards on a play maybe 15 yards yep i've been trying to find an article i read years ago about aaron Rodgers throwing motion and how it changed from the time he was at cal to his starts with the green bay packers he they, he went through a transformation because he had that loopy style too uh so let's i'd have to go back and look at cal film to see but you yeah because i i don't remember yeah, but I'm sure there. I'm sure there's stuff available that I can find. Yeah, I, I, I can look for look at it for it too, and maybe we can talk about it in a future show because that is a huge. Uh, I think it should it should be a huge goal for Justin Fields this offseason. and so hopefully that's being addressed. Um, regarding getting back to this coaching staff, uh, what do you know about Tyke Colbert, who is now going to be helping Luke Getzey with the uh, uh, passing game? Well, I, I, I look at some of these. It's, it's like we were talking about front office hires. Uh -huh. You put, you add passing game coordinator and all of a sudden you got, you know, it makes it easy for him to leave. Did the Giants want to hold on to him as a wide receiver coach? Well, now as passing game coordinator, they got to let him leave if he wants to leave. Okay. You know, so um, what's the passing game coordinator? Come on. The offensive coordinator is coordinating it. Yes. Let's, you know, let, let, let's be serious. I mean, you know, he might study a little more tape in the passing game because he's, he's working with the, 
the wide receivers and looking for the, the right routes to run, et cetera. Uh, but this guy's got an excellent reputation. He was in Buffalo for a while, so I'm familiar with him there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, he, he's a player's coach, gets along well with, with his players. He's a good teacher. And, and I think that's the important thing. The other guy, you know, Coach Morgan, he's supposed to be a good teacher. And Eberflus mentioned when he's going to make these hires that ability to teach the position is very important to him. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Your coordinator's got to be your X and O guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. But your position coaches, they got to be teachers. The next key hire to me is the defensive line. Who's it going to be? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of us hope it's Marinelli. There's an obvious tie there. The only thing that I hear that that could put a, a, a dent in that is, you know, Rod has trouble walking sometimes. You know, he, he um, got injured in the Vietnam War. I don't know if his injury to his, is to his legs, but... You know, he back when he was here, he was always wearing compression socks hmm. and, you know, walks with a, a limp. And, you know, I was told by a guy in the know that, you know, he was struggling to get around walking when he was with the Raiders last year. And and he's, I think he's a year older than me, might be 71, 72. Mm-hmm. Maybe you, you could probably look that up, but he's around the same age as me. And, you know, does he want to go through that? grind you know or you know i remember remember howard mudd now he never coached here but great offensive line coach and player and and howard could barely walk the last few years he was coaching and and i i was at um down at indy for their camp when i was doing scouting for the xfl you know players who might get cut that we could draft for our team and I'm watching uh, Coach Mudd because he was in Philly when I was there. Mm-hmm. And he was in a cart the whole practice. <laughs> and then he'd have the assistant line coach de- demonstrate. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, Got to ask you about, are you concerned that the two coordinators are first-year play callers? Getsy? And well, you know, some people in the media will say, oh, it's an inexperienced staff. Well, you know what? I look at it this way. First of all, both of them have been coaching for a while mm-hmm. in the league. Williams more than, than Getze. Mm-hmm. But at, at the same time, that's part of the natural progression. You know, you move up the ladder and then you get more responsibility and you know, I look at McVeigh. I mean, this guy was a coordinator. He's like 28 years old. Yes. <laughs> and it's and amazing place. So he's a head coach when he's 30. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, if they're qualified, I don't have a problem. Now, you know, we just haven't seen them in action. Mm-hmm. But if they're, you know, really qualified people, then I got no problem with it. I'm going to say this because so far, when you look at the overall experience of the staff so far, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Go back to when we brought in Lovey in 2004. How about this? We had the most inexperienced 
staff in the league from an NFL experience yeah. point of view. Right. Because Lovey got a bunch of guys out of college. Mm-hmm. And second year of his program, we're in the playoffs. And the third year, we go to the Super Bowl. Pretty much the same staff, except for the offensive coordinator. Got rid of Terry Shea after one year. Should have got rid of him after one day, but that's all right. And, and Greg, I'm interested in that aspect of the head coach coaching the coaches and that whole, this is how we're going to do it. This is what I expect out of you. Can you share anything about that from your experience and, and what you have seen at Hallis Hall or with the Giants or anywhere where the coach spends how much time? Hours, days, weeks, instilling no, that, that a lot of it. A lot of it is is part of your your interview process. Okay, you know what what you expect from a guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so, but he's gonna he knows the ins and outs of the defense. And he brought in a guy. I, I know what he said, but what he said and what's going to be reality could be two different things. And that he's going to be heavily involved with the defense. Mm-hmm. Every guy who's the head coach and comes from the defensive side of the ball gets heavily involved with the defense. Same thing like, you know, Nagy was an offensive coach, heavily involved with the offense. That's their specialty. Mm-hmm. Now, he might not call the plays, the defensive plays, that's fine, but he's going to be a big part of the game plan. And that's really more important, mm-hmm. you know, being, you know, putting together the plan to stop. Now I'll tell you what I like though. And, you know, I've heard of other teams doing this and I, I love the concept is that he, he says he's going to spend a lot of time with the offensive coaches in planning stages because he understands defense. And so he can say, this is what they're doing. And this is how I'd attack it to mm-hmm. beat it. Cause mm-hmm. he'll know that he knows the weakness of the scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, follow up to that. What is going on right now? And, and you know what, in a future show, I want to uh, maybe prior to the draft, I want to learn more from you about how you handled your scouts when you were leading the uh, scouting department with the Chicago Bears, how you led them in assessing players, let, letting them know, you know, here's what we're looking for and so forth. I want to get into that because that's a, a, at least a 30 minute discussion. So we'll save that. But what do you think is going on right now? Clearly, there are all star games. Do the Bears have scouts in both Vegas and in Mobile? I don't know if they're still in Vegas because the game's tonight, and rarely do you stay for a game. Okay. I think the game's tonight. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. Um, so they're still – today will be the last day of, of a good practice, of good practices. Tomorrow's a walkthrough. So mm-hmm. you're going to see the guys heading out of town uh, tomorrow. Now, generally, I, I don't know what the calendar's going to be with Ryan Poles, the scouting calendar, I know that what we did is we brought the scouts in in December, early in December, first or second week, depending on when there was a home game because they went to the game on Sunday and then we met Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. And to pare down the list, 
from the prospect. You know, you're starting with well over a thousand names. You want to get to a, a workable number of around 600. Mm-hmm. And so you eliminate guys and we call it just put them to sleep. <laughs> and, um, and yes, a guy could come back to life. He could be resurrected. <laughs> we used all the, we used all those terms because if a guy just jumped out at the combine or, or at an all-star game or something or a bowl game, which is obviously after that first week of December meetings and he was a fit, then, you know, we'd resurrect him, mm-hmm. but it wasn't too many. You know, generally speaking, a lot of these guys were put to sleep because of uh, they weren't a scheme fit, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They had character problems or medical problems. Mm-hmm. You know, so we just, shh, you're done. Slap the final grade out and put them in the system and, and never talk about them again. Mm-hmm. But there's probably you know, a handful, maybe a few more of guys that did get resurrected. And, uh, you know, they had Easter Sunday. But <laughs> other than that, but then in February, you know, we go to the All-Star Games. And, mm-hmm. and well, let me back up. Okay. And, and we would assign the cross-checks. Some teams do cross-checks during the fall, you know, on the road. I didn't do that. My guys stayed in their area. They were like, you know, we told them, you're the personnel director of your area. Mm -hmm. So Jeff Shiver had the Midwest. Jeff, you're the personnel director of the Midwest schools. So you got, and and you're not going into those schools once. You're going into your main schools, your power five schools, three, four times of the year, Mm -hmm. you know, including the spring. And you got to know those players. They're being held accountable to knowing every player in his area. Okay, then in December, we assigned the cross checks and it'd be 20 to 25 guys, except for DBs, there's gonna be a few more. Mm-hmm. And they would then stack those players best to worst. And so then you got it and, and we, and he kept the same position every year. Okay. So we, 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 called that guy the expert at the position. I tried to pair it up so that really the guy was cross-checking the position he knew the best and understood the best. Ballard did the DBs. That's he smart. was a DZN quarterback, and he knew DBs as well as anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, Mark Sadowski had the defensive line. He was a freaking defensive lineman mm-hmm. when he was in college. So you know, that, that's how we worked that out. Marty Barrett had the wide receivers and Marty was quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was a lot of common sense involved, mm-hmm. but they would do that. And then we would also, we didn't assign it to the coach, you know, and actually give them the names yet, but we had the list set. This is going to be a guy we want the coach to do. This is going to be another guy, you know, and and their their list would be 15 to 20 guys per position coach, Hmm. you know, to do. Then you come back in February and we'd meet for 10, 12 days before we go to the combine and you'd cut it down even more. And then you'd start to get, you know, that's when the coach is really, kind of jumped aboard 
okay. in the process, and then you gave them the guys to do. And we want you to not only see this guy, or, or rather, do tape on this guy. We want you to work him out. Okay. You know, and, and preferably a private workout, not a pro day workout. Mm-hmm. Because you can get a lot more out of a private workout. So that was the February thing. So you really don't have all your information back in the books until early in April when you get everything back. You know, the, the stuff you see on the internet, these guys, oh, so-and-so's got, this guy's a top 10 player. That's so much bullshit. Because final boards aren't put together until April. <laughs> you know, you meet that, you, you meet that, um, for two weeks before the draft. And that's when you're really getting into the nuts and bolts of, of what the board looks like. Yeah. You mentioned that before that it isn't until like early April that that board is now getting close to its final iteration. So uh, that's fascinating. Now, I, I'll tell you what I'm going to be interested in seeing or hearing mm-hmm. is Ryan Poles worked for Dorsey for a while. Mm-hmm and Ballard at the same time. Dorsey was real big on watching film as a group. Always has been. That was the Green Bay way of doing things when when Ron Wolf was there. Mm -hmm. And so you'd go through positions. So you spent hours upon hours watching tape of guys. Mm -hmm. And so you can get a collective opinion and discuss the guy while you're watching tape. Right. Um, so I know Kansas city did that when Dorsey was there mm-hmm. and, and Ballard grew into really like it. And he does it with his Indianapolis guys. Now, now when Brent Veach took over, I don't know if Veach did now Veach was there with Dorsey, but I don't know if Veach stayed with the same concept. Gotcha. But it'll be interesting to see if, if that's a thing that, that stood out with Ryan Poles and that he's going to bring here. Mm-hmm. I've never done that myself as a group. What I, and I think we mentioned it before. If, um, you know, like Sadowski had an opinion on a guy and I had a totally different opinion, then my way of doing it was Mark, we're going to go watch tape and I'm going to, I know what you think of the guy. I'm going to try to look at it through your eyes and I want you to look at it through my eyes and then see if we can come together with a collective opinion. And uh, Adam Hogue reported that he had a conversation with Ryan Poles. And one of the things that Hogue was impressed with was the fact that the scouts are held accountable when they have a meeting and let's say a, a wide receiver drops a couple of passes and they'll turn to the scout and say, that wasn't in your scouting report. In fact, you said that he had great hands. So what's going on here? So uh, that sense, sense of accountability, according to Hogue, perhaps wasn't existent in the Ryan Pace area. And so that brings me to Tony's question. When you were uh, uh, heading all the scouts with the Bears, did you encourage them to challenge each other uh, 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 and disagree on things? Absolutely. And that goes back to my days with the, with the Giants. Mm-hmm. And George Young, and I, I know I've said this before, day I got hired by the Giants, 
George said to me, he goes, if you're going to agree with me, I don't need you. Love it. So, you know, I want your opinion. I don't want his opinion. I want your opinion. Mm -hmm. And you stand up for your opinion. And if it's different than mine, so what? And so he, he really pushed argument for lack of a better word. And trust me, we argued, <laughs> you know, in, in, in New York, I mean the whole group and we did the same thing here, but number one, I thought I had a, a, a great group of scouts. And if you look at what a lot of them are doing now, it, <laughs> You know, the jobs they have now, it yeah. shows that we had a great group of scouts. Yeah. I mean, I really trusted their opinion. But, yeah, you're darn right. We would challenge them. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I've said this a few times. You know, you can put four or five scouts in a room, put the same tape on, say, I want you to watch number 76, and you're going to get three or four different opinions. Mm -hmm. They're watching the same thing. So, but... I had a sign on the on the wall. It's not about who's right, it's about being right. Love it. And so that's what that's what it gets down to. Your evaluation has to be right. And I could be totally wrong, but as long as you got it, and then as a group we have the right grade, that's important. And that's one of the things I liked about Ryan Pohl's. Uh, you know, they tried to pinpoint him on, you know, who's your favorite pick and all this other stuff. They go, well, no, it's a, it's a group thing. Mm -hmm. And I've always said that it's a collective opinion of your whole group. Mm -hmm. You you're, you're praising your whole scouting staff. I've been in, in draft rooms where the scouts weren't, weren't in the draft room. That's bullshit. <laughs> you know, because I, you want them there. You want their opinion. You want their conversation. You're paying them a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And you hire them because they have a, a skill set to do that job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's a perfect uh, approach. Uh, Victor DeJesus had a question earlier that I'd like you to address. How do you feel about Alec Ogletree at middle linebacker? In college, he was perfect for that role. And I think that's what he played uh, in his first several seasons with the Rams, right? The middle linebacker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in this defense... Mm -hmm. He's a good Mike. Coverage is important. Big, huge guys are not. Mm -hmm. Speed is important. He can run. But Roquan's not going to be the Mike. Roquan's going to be the Will. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he might have been the – I think he was the Will actually in this past scheme. I mean, you got two inside linebackers, two outside linebackers, the real edge guys. You know, but, but Trevathan and then Ogletree – were the Mike linebackers mm -hmm. and Roquan is for this scheme. He's going to have the same. I, I mean, he's had great production already, but you know, he gets overlooked when it comes to awards. Well, he's going to get right up there with Darius Leonard and Indy. Mm -hmm. Well, we have covered a lot here in an hour and 15 minutes. Um, we have tons of questions, but I'm going to save some of them for our next show. I'm not sure when we'll be back. You and I still have to talk about our schedule, and I, I owe you that, Greg, so I apologize. I still haven't gotten that to you, but I'd love to have you on next week to get your evaluation of what you saw at the Senior Bowl. and that the show. I haven't seen a 
thing yet. So be honest with you. But you will be watching the game, and uh, and I've got, I think I've got access to practice tape. So if you if you need to see any of that, uh, let me know. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll figure out how to get you logged in on that. Uh, so that'll be fun to get your evaluation of that. Um, anything else you want to share uh, with the audience before we pull the plug on this, our latest episode of Greg Talk Football? No, not not really. I think we we hit everything. It was a, this is a fun show. Man, oh man, it really was. <laughs> we started off with the dark topic of what's happening in the NFL, and we got to uh, talking about coaching. Any, any news in the last hour and 15 minutes? Uh, just uh, check quickly. No. What do, what do you think about these? What is this? A rumor that Matt Nagy might be the Lions' next offensive coordinator? Is is Have you heard anything about that? Yeah. I mean, Big Z on, on Mully and Hall this morning, and, and they were talking like it's a done deal. Really? I, I, I don't know that. Um, if it is, I, I'm got to be happy for Matt. Uh-huh. Uh, and and I think he had a year left on his contract. So they, you know, when you have a situation like that, you get, you know, you pay the guy like, you know, a hundred thousand, let's say he's, he's supposed to be making a million and a half as the offensive coordinator. And I'm just you know, making the, the number up Well, you pay him 200,000 and the bears pick up the rest, mm-hmm. you know, because they're paying off whatever his contract is. So, you know, the, the, the new team, doesn't pay the full freight. I uh, see. <laughs> Bargain. Time. It's, a good, it's a it's a good way to hire coaches because you know you you you. <laughs> it's like it improves your budget a little bit. Right. It's like looking at the bargain bin at a, a DVD uh, store and you uh, buying movies for a dollar ninety nine with obscure titles. That's that's almost like what they're doing with Matt Nagy bringing them in there. Well, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll see. But like I said, it was um, that. They were talking like it's done. I, I, you know, I, I've seen the rumor. I don't know if it's. I was looking up. In fact, after they they were on the show, I, uh, you know, got on the computer to see if it was actually a done deal, and it, it's not yet. Mm-hmm. By the way, we got a nice compliment from Rock Davis saying that we work well together. And I just got to say, Rock Davis, man, that is the perfect na- name for a nose tag, wasn't it? Rock Davis, that is great. Right. Sounds like a rock star. <laughs> exactly. All right, everybody. Uh, for Greg Gabriel, uh, I am Aldo Gandia. Thanks for watching this latest episode of uh, Greg Gabriel Talks Football. We'll be back with more programming tonight. Crosstown Crosstalk. He's got a special guest, Michelle Starr. They're going to talk Boston Red Sox uh, and the latest, whatever the latest is on the Major League Baseball contract talks. That is our show for today. We will uh, see you all very soon. Bye-bye. See you later. Thank you.